Welcome, and thank you for joining us for the City Baptist Church Podcast. We would love to have you join us for a service in person. You can find all the information you need on our website at citybaptist.church. I'm excited to share the Word of God with you. Thank you, Christian, and our leaders there, man, did a great job today, and I'm thankful. I love that song, Living Hope, and uh, ironically, it is the title of my message today, Living Hope, and you say, Pastor, did you ask to sing that song? Yes, 100%, definitely. I said, let's sing that song. I knew where we were going in this passage, and, uh, and so I hope that's in your heart already as we get into the Word today, that Jesus Christ is our living hope. Now, last week, we began a brand new study together. So if you have your Bibles, let's go to 1 Peter right now. 1 Peter in the New Testament. And uh, it is a brand new study that we started. It's something that uh, I believe will be a help to us. And last week was sort of an overview of the book. And so if you missed out on it, I encourage you to get on YouTube or uh, through the podcast or something and listen to the message and uh, make sure that you Uh, Go ahead and catch up. It kind of gives you the overview of the whole book, and I think it will help you. But what we discovered overall, pretty much the overall theme of 1 Peter, or what we talked about uh, last week anyway, was that 1 Peter is a very unique book, if you remember that. And we looked at some different unique aspects of it. We talked about how the book is unique in its authorship. And of course, it was written by Peter, right? And he was the apostle. And Peter, I think we would have to agree, was hugely influential. Wouldn't you agree with that? He was hugely influential in the cause of the gospel, especially the spreading of the gospel uh, from the Jews and to the Gentiles. And so Peter, I mean, was an incredible guy. Yet what we see is we only see these two small books uh, that were written in the New Testament. And so it is unique in that sense as far as its authorship goes. Again, by review, it was unique in its timing. It was written by Paul uh, in Rome uh, to a unique set of believers. It was around AD 63, we believe that it was written, which was right before AD 64, which if you know your history, uh, you know that's when Nero decided to set fire to Rome and to begin blaming Christians. And I mean, the persecution just went from, uh, from a 10 to a 100, just like that. And so this was right before all of this major persecution is about to happen. And so it's unique in that sense, but it was also unique in its recipients. Specifically, he talks about the Jews of the dispersion. So those that have been scattered from Jerusalem, believers in Christ some 30 years previous to this, that had been scattered about preaching the word. Also, of course, you know, it, it meant uh, the Gentiles those that had come to Christ, but were now trying to live in a pagan society as followers of Jesus Christ and, and the difficulties associated with that. And so he was speaking to them. But ultimately, what Peter does is in his book, he addresses to bo- his book to strangers and pilgrims, if you remember that. So that's the, the title of our series is Strangers and Pilgrims, because that became sort of a name for anyone really who's a follower of Jesus Christ, whose citizenship is in heaven, not of this earth, because we truly are just here for a time, and we are strangers, and we are pilgrims. And really, it is addressed to all Christians. And so it's unique in that sense. But fourthly, we saw last week that it's unique in its message. And the message was this, is that even though the Christian life is challenging, even though you may go through great trials and suffering and persecution and difficulty, no matter what it is that you are going through individually, no matter what you may go through as a church family collectively, the fact is this. We can live for God during those times. We can live uh, as people in suffering. We can, or we, as Christians in suffering, we can live uh, in such a way, and he described it in, in verse number uh, two for us, he described it as being in the grace, which is the undeserved favor of God, but also people who can live in the peace of God. 
Now, the word that he uses there, peace, and this is an overriding message that we see, is a very unique word, and I want to define it for us this morning because it connects right into where we're going today. The peace that he's talking about means to be bound. It means to be woven together. It means to be assured and secure in the love of God. So here's what Peter is saying. I want you persecuted, scattered, Christians going through great trials and difficulties. I want you to have peace. Now, that's pretty special, isn't it? You know, for us, really the best that we can do when someone's going through a difficult time is what we say, ah, it's going to be all right. (laughs) It's going to be okay. But Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, can say to us, listen, you can have peace. You can have an assurity that God is in control. For Christians, it means that it's sort of like a, a tranquil state of a, 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 an assured soul. I don't know how else to describe it. And it's an assurance, of course, in our salvation, but it's an assurance that we as believers don't have to fear anything because God is with us. His Holy Spirit is with us. He is walking with us. As those Hebrew boys in the fire, he is with us in the fire, and he is there with us in all things. And so Peter is saying to us, listen, it is possible for you to have an inward confidence that goes beyond the boundaries of this broken world that we live in. Now, to me, that's a special thing. Because often we get so uh, trapped and we get so focused on the the brokenness of our world and the brokenness of, of life around us and all of the trials and all of the things that we're going through that we somehow very easily forget the fact that I truly can have confidence and God wants me to have confidence despite the challenges that I am in. And so this is the confidence that Peter wanted to convey. He wanted to see it grow in those scattered believers throughout the Roman provinces. And I gotta tell you, it is a characteristic of somebody who's growing by faith. So if you're a Christian that is growing, I want to tell you something. The thing that you will grow in, besides your faithfulness, besides uh, maybe different areas that God may speak to you about, about personal uh, holiness and sanctification, one of the areas you will grow in is in confidence. Confidence that God is in control and confidence that God is going to work through you. And so this is the thing that he is trying to get across to us. But if you're like me, you realize that this is a challenge to live in this way. Would you agree? It is a challenge to live in this way. It is hard to live life uh, with a confidence that does not line up with our circumstances, isn't it? It is hard to live in that way. But here's what I want you to get. Peter, in what he's about to continue with, Peter does not give us a way out. Here's what I want us to get. Okay, so don't miss this. Get this this morning. Peter does not give us a way out of living in confidence. Peter, in this passage, is going to give us a way in to living in peace a way into living in confidence uh, with God. And that's what he does over these next three verses that we're going to cover today. He's going to speak to those of us who know Christ, and he's going to give us the key to confident, peace-filled living as strangers and pilgrims on this earth. And the way that he does it is by reminding us of the greatest reason that we live for God, the greatest reason that we serve the Lord, the greatest motivation of a lifetime, and it is this, what we've already sung about, that we have a living hope in Jesus Christ. So write that down there in your notes. We have a living hope in Jesus Christ. I want to begin reading in 1 Timothy chapter 1. I'll read verses 3 through 5. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. 
Peter here is speaking to us about the one thing that can give a person total and complete peace. He's talking about the one thing that can give us peace for eternity and peace for the here and now. And he describes it to us as a lively or a living hope. Now, what does he mean by that? What does Peter mean when he says that we have a living hope? Well, the answer is in the next phrase there in the verse where it says, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Do you see that there? He says, you have a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, that is the answer right here. See, the living hope that he is talking about is the hope of eternal life that is made available through the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what it is. The living hope that he's given to us is the hope of the resurrection. The Apostle Paul described it this way in 1 Corinthians 15, where he said, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached to you, unto you, which also you have received and wherein ye stand. Now, the gospel is something that you can receive and something that you can stand in, something you can live in. In verse 2, he says, By which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Now the gospel we know defined is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the good news that we take to the world. That is the good news and the truth that we live out to others. But more than just the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the gospel gives us a hope. The gospel gives us a confidence that our eternal life is secure. Okay, so there's some connects, connect the dots here. The gospel, the resurrected Savior, gives us hope and he gives us confidence for the world that we are in today. Eternal life, church, living hope is a reality. It is. It is a reality. And, and sometimes as Christians, we live as if it's not a reality. We live as if it's something we're just, oh man, maybe it'll work out, you know, in the end. No, no, it is something that is secure. It is eternal and it is something that we can trust in. It is a reality, and here's why I'll tell you it's a strong reality, because it exists in another world than we live in right now. It exists in a spiritual uh, world. And i got to tell you, the spiritual world is just as real as the world that you're living in right now. It is a, a unique place. And I love here how he describes it as a living hope, because that puts a unique descriptive element to it here. It's not just like, oh, I hope so. He says, no, this is a living hope. What does that mean? It means that it is hope that has life to it. It is hope that can give life to us. And because it has life, guess what it can do? It can grow in us. It can spring up. It can become greater. It, become, it can become more beautiful as time goes on. Did you know that time destroys most hopes? <laughs> Our hopes, don't it? It fades and it dies, doesn't it? How many of you remember some hopes and dreams that you had as a teenager or as a young person? Are you living out those dreams? I'll tell you what, if I was living out my hopes and dreams from when I was a teenager, I wouldn't be here right now. I'd be right now getting ready for game 162 of the MLB season. I'd be in Toronto. It'd be a key game against uh, the Baltimore Orioles. 
I'd be at this point, I'd be a veteran player. I probably would just maybe be on the bench or maybe DHing at this point, you know, because my knees were kind of going. And, uh, and I'd be there and I'd be supporting my young teammates, Vladimir Guerrero and others, and I'd be behind them. And that's where I'd be right now if my hopes and dreams from my teenage years uh, were actively lived out. Maybe some of you would be in the NBA or you'd be, you know, you'd be some, uh, some hotshot lawyer. I don't know, what it, whatever your hopes and dreams were, isn't it interesting how time uh, allows those or uh, over time our hopes fade away, don't they? They kind of just fizzle away. But here's the thing about being a Christian. With the passing of time, it makes our hope more glorious and more real. One of the things that is so sweet in life is to be with a person who's been a Christian for a long time. Somebody who's experienced some life. Maybe they've walked with God for 50 or 60 years. And when they talk about heaven and when they talk about the hope eternal, they have a little bit more... Uh, I don't know, connection, maybe you would say to it, than maybe some of us who are, are younger in age. Many of you know Pastor Dennis Fountain, and he's a really good, good friend of ours, and he's preached here many times over the years. And a good friend of ours, Jeanette, grew up with him, um, and his dad right now is within hours of passing away. I talked to him last night, and he said to me, he said, he said it's just hours, hours away from, from leaving this life. And he and I have been talking pretty much every day for the last week or so, um, as, his, as the doctors gave his dad about 24 hours to live, and he's, he's just sort of hanging on. And, um, but one of the things that's been so interesting to me is that when the diagnosis and everything, they gave him just a few weeks to live, when, when they were walking through that, there was, there was like a pattern of, of obviously of concern and worry and fear. Now, his dad was a pastor for, I think, over 40 years. But as it got closer and closer, I sensed a change in, in Dennis even and in his family as they just began to, and when I would talk with him, as he just said, you know what, man, heaven is so close for him right now. He is, he's not going to be suffering anymore. He's not going to be going through this. And many of you have experienced situations like this in your own life. And, and to, to watch somebody, though, who's mature, and Pastor Fountain is such, was such a great man. I mean, he's Jeanette's pastor for many years growing up, and his own his own, I mean, he's been walking through cancer for 10 years. They gave him two weeks to live 10 years ago. And he has such a grateful spirit and has had such a grateful spirit for the years that God has given to him. But the point I'm trying to make is that time, trials, difficulties help us to realize that our hope in Christ is so much more real. So much more real. Time fades earthly hopes, but it makes for the Christian our hope of glory, our hope of heaven, our hope of eternal life so much sweeter. So how is that? Why is that? Well, it's because our hope is alive. Our hope is not dead. It's not probable. (laughs) It's not a hope that may or may not come to pass. Our hope is real and our hope is true. It is active. It is functioning. And it is within the heart of the believer. And we are so excited as we look forward to the fact that heaven is our arrival. And Peter understood that. Peter knew the importance of recognizing and understanding this hope. And so what he does over these next few verses is he gives us three attributes of a living hope. And the reason that he gives them to us is so that we as Christians can develop within us a confidence to live for the Lord no matter what we're facing on this end of the earth. No matter what ordinary challenges of life come our way on this broken planet. No matter what may come now, no matter what may come later, no matter what you're facing in the moment. This understanding, these attributes can give us true peace like you've never experienced before. And so let's get into that bulk of the message today. 
And we have a living hope today, church family, because our hope has a source. Point number one, our hope has a source. There is some backing behind it. Let's look at verse number uh, three again. He said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. See, the source of our living hope here, he makes it very clear right at the very beginning, is found in God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see that there? And by the way, I love that description, Lord Jesus Christ. It's not something we always use. We say Jesus or Christ. But it's such a full description of who he is because he is Lord. He is God. He is Jesus. He is the man, right? He is fully man who came to this earth. And he is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the promised one to come. And in that name sort of embodies all of who Jesus is. But here we see that it is the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, we know they are equal together. But here we see that eternal life can be found in the one who is eternal, and that is God. And here's the point. He is the source of this hope. Jesus is the source of it, and and the accessibility to that source is only transferred to mankind through Jesus Christ. And I also want you to notice in this verse a big reason for that, where it says, according to his abundant, say that word with me, mercy. Oh man, Nisley said that, did such a great job talking about that in the scripture. By the way, I didn't pick the scripture today, just so you know. It's just mystical. No, it all happened, you know, it all, it all happened today. And we're talking about mercy here, and that's what's so amazing about it. Because of the mercy of God, we then can find salvation. We can then be saved and one day live in eternity with God. And I love how Peter calls it here abundant mercy. In other words, he says it is abundant, it's endless, it's overflowing. It's not going to run out. Now, we're coming up to Thanksgiving next Monday. One of the, maybe, maybe some of you have grown up in a large family like I did. There's six kids in my family. And one of the things that was so unique about our family is we always ate family style at the table. You know, my mom would come out and put out dishes on the table. But sometimes my mom would bring out something special, you know, unexpected. You know, I, I don't know, jello or, you know. Big family, no money. You got it, right? <laughs> she'd bring out something. And the thing about our family is that whenever she'd bring it out, she would typically, she wouldn't just put it on the table. She would usually hand it to somebody, and we would pass the food around the table. Now, if you want to learn how to be an anxious little boy, uh, <laughs> have her pass it to the person on your left, because we always went clockwise, right? And I remember sometimes you'd sit there, and of course, I had my older brother and my parent, and, all the, and I remember sometimes she'd hand it to the person next to me, and I'd be like, oh, man. And I would watch it, and it was to go around the table, you know? And everyone would be like, yes, jello, you know, and be filling up their plates. And, they, and I would just be watching it. I wouldn't even worry about the food that was on my plate. I'd be watching that thing go all the way around. And I was worried because I was at the end of the line, right? And I'd be concerned that maybe there wasn't enough to go around. And we understand that. And often a lot of things in life are that way. Is there enough to go around? But when it comes to the mercy of God, there is plenty to go around. There is enough For all people, it does not matter what you have done. It does not matter the past of your sin. There is enough mercy for you and enough mercy for you to receive eternal life. And truthfully, it is the only way that you can receive eternal life. It's through the mercy of God. Mankind is so sinful, guys. We need to remember this. We are so sinful that we only have one hope. And that is Jesus Christ himself. That's why Titus so strongly proclaimed in Titus 3.5 that it's not of works of righteousness which we have done, but it is according to his mercy that he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Only God's mercy 
would allow him to have compassion for a sinful and a rebellious people. And it is because of his mercy that we have the privilege of being begotten. You remember that verse? That we are being begotten. Now, whenever we see the word begotten, we think of John 3.16, right? And of Jesus being the begotten son of the Father. Now, that means the son, the only son. In this case, the word begotten actually means born again. So he's saying it's because of the mercy of God that we can be born again into the family of God and, uh, and we receive then that new life. We know from other scriptures how we are dead to sin and alive to God. It's at that point that our citizenship is transferred to heaven. We're given that purpose that lives outside of the pain and the suffering in this world. And it is because of the mercy of God. Look at that verse. It's because of the abundant mercy of God. See, Peter wants us to know that our salvation is powerful. And because it is powerful and because we know the source of our salvation, it can give us an expectation of the life that is to come. And because of that expectation, because we know for sure and we have a conviction uh, that we are going to go to heaven, that God is going to keep his promise to raise us up, uh, then we know for sure that, that that is secure in us and it gives us that security. To add to that, he says we have a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We sang about it just, some more, uh, just a few minutes ago, but when that Sunday morning came, when that body that was wrapped in grave clothes was resurrected, Jesus Christ in that moment made the necessary power and proof available for our ultimate resurrection. I don't know if you remember 1 Corinthians 15, where it says, for as in Adam all die, but even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Okay, here's the point that he's trying to say here in verse number three. He says, you are saved because of God, the eternal one. You are saved because of his abundant mercy towards you. And that gives us encouragement. But you're also saved and your salvation is proved by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Because if he can resurrect Jesus, then he can certainly resurrect us. He can most certainly give us eternal life. And it's all because our hope has a source. It has something behind it. It's not flaky. It's not going to collapse when trials come. It is secure, and your salvation is secure in Jesus Christ because he is our source. That is our living hope. But we also have a living hope because we have an inheritance. Now, I love this. Our hope has an inheritance. Let's continue now to verse number four. He says, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Now, Peter here continues his description of our living hope. He lets us know that along with the eternal life that God gives us, there is an inheritance as the children of God. And it involves some of the most wonderful gifts imaginable. Now, I literally have a list here. I'll show you on my notes of all of the gifts right here. I don't know if you guys can see this. Look at all of these things that I will not read all of them to you right now. But these are all gifts that are given to us. These are part of our inheritance. I'll just go through them really quickly. There will be an inheritance of a new nature. We know that. That is something that we receive as an inheritance. Now remember, we are begotten. We are born again into the family of God. We're part of God's family. And as Niza even said, there's a, an amount of blessing and joy that comes along with it. Part of it is the new nature that we are going to receive. Of course, uh, not only here there's a change, but in heaven as well. I'll just name a few of them. Being adopted as the sons and daughters of God. Uh, being given a glorious body and eternal glory and hope. Blessings of the Lord. Knowledge of Christ. A crowns of incorruption of righteousness, crowns of life, and of glory. These are all aspects of the inheritance that we receive. There will also be an inheritance of a new position. Uh, we'll be exalted beings. 
He talks about how we will rule and reign with him. That is a unique position that's given to us. There is, uh, we will have the privilege of surrounding the throne of God, uh, priests and kings and uh, eternal responsibility and joy. That's part of the inheritance that we receive as well. There's an inhe- inheritance of heavenly wealth. You say, well, why not earthly wealth? Well, I don't know. That would kind of mess us up, wouldn't it? <laughs> but we get, if we were all just Christians to get money, can you imagine? Oh, that would be terrible. That would be terrible. <laughs> uh, but we get a heavenly wealth. There's a, a uniqueness to that. Uh, we'll be made an heir of God. There's an incorruptible uh, heritage. There's the blessings of the Lord. There's riches and righteousness, unsearchable riches, treasures in heaven. All of these things that I'm talking about here are an inheritance that are given to us. And as the children of the king, we share in his inheritance in glory. Now, this is a really unique thing about Jesus that, that we need to understand. And Nisley even touched on it a little bit. This is so great. I was, I was fired up when he was reading how it's all connected here, in here. Um, uh, but we are included in Christ's last will and testament. It's an inheritance that we are going to receive. In John chapter 17, this is unique. This is when Jesus is praying uh, during the Last Supper. And he's praying. And what he's specifically praying about here is he's praying about those that will follow him in the future. So he's praying for us in this moment. And this is what Jesus said. He said, and the glory which thou gavest to me, he's speaking to God the Father, the glory that thou givest to me, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and thou in me, and they may be be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. The glory that God the Father gave to Jesus is going to be given to us as well. We share in that. That's a pretty amazing inheritance. That is something to look forward to. Now, I've heard stories, of course, you guys have too, about maybe somebody finding out that they're in the will of a long-lost rich uncle, you know, that nobody knew about. And all of us as kids, you know, you read some story, maybe you read about, you know, I I read some even this week about somebody who uh, uh, they inherited a billion euros. That's a lot of money. Uh, from a family member that they hadn't seen in 10 years. They had no idea. And they left them a billion euros. I don't even know what the exchange rate is on that. But that's a lot of money. You go from zero to billionario right away. I mean, that's a big deal. And you hear about these stories. And I remember as a kid, sometimes like low-key asking my parents, like, hey, do you have any uh, like brothers or sisters that I've never met? <laughs> Maybe you've done that. You're like, hey, uh, you know, I know our great uncle so-and-so just passed away. Like, did you have any kids? Like, you know, like... I remember asking, you know, just real low-key, asking some funny questions like that and thinking like, oh, man, it'd be awesome, you know, if that happened to me. Well, it hasn't happened to me, of course. But (laughs) what an amazing thought, though, that our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, has given us a part of the glory that was given to him. It is a special and it is a unique inheritance. Look at the description again in verse 4. It is incorruptible. It is undefiled. It doesn't fade away, and it is reserved in heaven for you. That's specific to us. This description here is amazing because it is nothing like any earthly inheritance, right? It it is incorruptible, means nothing can ruin it. It is undefiled. It cannot be stained or cheapened in any way. It will never grow old because it is eternal. It doesn't fade away, and it cannot wear out, and it cannot disappoint us in any way, and it is preserved in heaven for us. Now, staying with that theme of inheritance, some of you might have an inheritance coming your way. You might know that. You may be like, yep, 
I already know, you know, maybe you know that this, whatever inheritance is coming your way, or at least you're hopeful, right? Maybe my parents, maybe they put me in the will, I hope, right? And you know that, or maybe they've even said to you, yes, I put you in the will, and maybe you know all of that. And one day you hope that maybe an inheritance will come your way. But you know what the thing about earthly inheritances that is so unique is that unless you have it in hand, it can change. Did you know that? (laughs) It can change. It's not guaranteed. There's inflation. (laughs) There's more taxes. The person who is going to give you the money, their spending habits may change. They may start spending more money all of a sudden. Uh, You may disappoint them. (laughs) You may make them mad for some reason. It could change. But the inheritance we receive from God is complete. It is full. (laughs) It is abundant. It is generous. And here's why. It's not based on this world. (laughs) It is based in our heavenly home. And our inheritance is a spiritual, eternal inheritance. Now, when I say that it's spiritual, it doesn't mean that it's like mystical. It's spiritual in the sense that we believe that there is a spiritual world. We know that. That's where we're going to be. We, it, is, it is mystical, but it is not mythical. Does that make sense? It is for real in both our senses and in our souls, and it is reserved in heaven for us. It cannot be taken away. It cannot be corrupted. And it is complete and full and never changing and reserved in heaven for you. And that's an amazing thought that outside of this world, outside of the suffering of this world, outside of all of the the difficulties that are here and the blessings that are here, there is something coming that is far greater than we can ever imagine. And this is how we can live in peace. Again, this is what it's all about. He's trying to help us to understand we can live in peace without a shadow of of a doubt that God is going to do what he promised. And our inheritance is secure. This is our living hope that he's given to us. We have an inheritance to come. It is based on a source. And then finally, I want us to see that our hope has an assurance. Our hope has an assurance. Look at verse number five. He says, Who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Well, how do we know for sure that we're going to receive this inheritance? How do we know that in this life where the temptations and trials that we go through are so forceful and so threatening? How do we know that we are going to receive the living hope of eternal life and its incredible inheritance? How do we know that we're not going to fall short on that great day of redemption? That's a good question to ask ourselves. Well, there's two answers here in this verse. First of all, there's the assurance of God's power. There's two assurances here. He assures us of God's power. God's power keeps us. Do you see that word there? Keeps us. Now, the word is a Greek word that we have translated kept, and it's a very long Greek word, so I'm not even going to try to say it, all right? But you, you trust me on that one. It's a long word, uh, but it means something amazing. It means to guard. It means to garrison. It means to protect. It's actually a military term, and so it has the idea of, of might and strength behind us. Here's what it's teaching us. God has might and God has strength. God is able to protect us in a way that no one else could. God will see to it that you will reach that glorious end, that you will reach that eternal life that he has promised to you. Psalm 37 verse 28 says, For the Lord loveth judgment and forsaketh not his saints. They are preserved forever, but the seed of the wicked shall be cut off. What is that telling us? Is That God has the necessary strength to see you through to eternal life. Now, that should encourage us. That is an assurance that he is giving to us. That is the assurance of his power in his sovereignty and his omnipotent power. He will make sure that you will receive the eternal life that is promised to you. But secondly, we see the assurance of our faith. He says that we are kept uh, not only by God there in verse number uh, five. He says we are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. 
Now, we are kept in our faith as well, our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and our faith in God's power. So there's an element here. Again, this is where you cannot disconnect God's uh, sovereignty and our responsibility. There's that blending of the two that come together. And he says our faith in God is what makes a difference. Here's the thing. No one will ever receive eternal life unless they truly believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a fact. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by who? Me. So there is one way. And that is through our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And once we have trusted in him, we are saved. The Father is holding on to us. But our faith is something that continues to give us strength. This whole idea of keeping, of guarding, that happens. What does that mean? Well, it means that a true faith is a faith that continues on. A true faith is a faith that trusts in God's power. It's a faith that is diligent. It's a faith that is alert it's a faith that loves Christ with all of your heart and your mind and your soul. It's a faith that seeks to promise uh, to follow God in all things. It's a, it's a faith that, that lives a holy and a righteous and a pure life that desires to serve the Lord. And to put it really, really simple, the person who truly believes in the Lord Jesus Christ will give all they are and give all they have to follow after him. We will do whatever it takes to spread the love of Christ around this world. It is a commitment that we are going to obey and we're going to follow Jesus Christ. It's us trusting in the power of God that he is going to deliver us through all the trials and the temptations of life. This is the kind of faith that keeps a person. This is the kind of faith that gives us the assurance that we will receive that eternal life and the promise of his inheritance. And God gives us this kind of assurance. In John chapter 5 and verse 24, he said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. Here's the promise. If you believe, if you trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you have faith in him, you will have. That's an assurity that you will have eternal life. And here's what, Paul's, or what Peter's doing here. He's reminding us of our living hope. It is hope that is alive. It is not probable. It is real, and it is true. It is active. It is functioning. And it is because there is a source behind it. And because there is a source, there's inheritance to come that is for sure. And that's where the assurance comes in. God is strong enough. You know, sometimes we believe, and I think this is the struggle we have. Sometimes we trust that, we trust that Jesus Christ can save us from our sins and give us a home in heaven, but we don't trust him to keep us saved. To me, that's kind of weird, you know? And it's in our mind, it's in the frailty of our mind that we play these games over and over again. Like, oh, I don't know, you know, and we're trying to always prove to ourselves or prove to others that we truly are born again. Listen, if you put your faith and trust in Christ, you are saved. No doubt about it. Take it to the bank. And that's an inheritance that is reserved in heaven for you. So here's what he's trying to get across to us here. He's trying to get us to recognize and understand the, these characteristics of a living hope. Because when we do, here's what it does. It gives us a confidence to live for the Lord. It gives you a confidence to live for Christ no matter what you're facing. It is what gives us a peace that passes all understanding in the middle of the wilderness, in the middle of the sorrow, in the middle of the pain. And he can give us a peace like you've never experienced before because we are assured of our salvation. We are assured of our home in heaven. And if he promised it to us, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. So my question to you today is this. Do you have that hope? Do you have that hope? Let me ask you this. Is that hope alive in you, though? 
You might be sitting here today and you say, I've been a Christian for 10 years. I've been a Christian for 15 years or five years. And yes, I know I have that hope. Is that hope alive? I think that's a distinction that sometimes we need to remember. It is growing in you. And as time moves on, it develops and takes you to a place that is so unique and so special that nothing can shake your confidence. That's the kind of faith that can take you through, man, those deep valleys. That's the kind of faith that can help you to keep your head up and have peace and trust God in the darkest of times. Because it's a living, it's an alive, it's a growing, it's a developing hope. Are you living today as if you have hope? Or is your life just a sort of a continuing chaotic state with no peace? Man, we've all had seasons of that in our life. Man, I've walked through many seasons like that. Where it feels chaotic. I'm like, where is this peace, God, that you promised to me? Where, it, where is this? God does not want us to live in that way. That's why he's given us a living hope. He's given us something to live for beyond this life, something powerful and true, but we must choose that peace today. We must choose that peace today. And that's my challenge to you from 1 Peter. Choose the peace of God. And the way you can do that is through our living hope. We hope that today's message was a help to your relationship with God. To stay connected with us, you can like us on Facebook or give us a follow on Instagram at Van City Baptist. Our prayer is that God will uniquely bless and grow you as you pursue His will for your life.